tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we are here with Erin Hancocks. Erin is a lifelong cat lover with two rescues, Bo and Fig, and an award-winning producer and filmmaker in Montreal. Since 2011, he has worked with the Canadian documentary company Markham Street Films. In 2020, he wrote, directed, and produced the TVO original documentary Running Wild, the Cats of Cornwall that explores the feral cat crisis focusing on a hard-hit town in Ontario, Canada. Aaron learned a lot over the course of making the film from the staggering impact that stray and feral cats have on biodiversity and their classification as an invasive species to how deeply divided the public was on the issue and the dedication of rescuers concerned for the physical safety of the cats. Hancock says the bottom line is the feral cat crisis is a human-created problem that requires a human fix. Aaron, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Before we jump into information about the documentary, and it was, it was great, wonderful, I really enjoyed watching it. First, if you can tell me sort of, you know, how did you become passionate about cats? I've always been passionate about animals. I was just raised in that kind of family, and I've always had pets myself. I became passionate about cats when, um, quite frankly, I was a single and uh, needed some companionship. And I got a rescue cat and he really just uh, lit up my life. Now I have two and I'm uh, married and I have a human child on the way. So um, they're just part of uh, my life and the family that I always want to create. That's wonderful. It's great. It's funny. It's sometimes it's the other way around. We've had a, a couple of guests on the show where they've been like, oh, well, I got a cat and then women didn't want to date me because I was a cat man and all that kind of stuff. So it sounds like uh, you were on the other way of the trend. Yeah, no, it was definitely a bit of a hurdle. Um, and some women found it strange that there's a single man that could be single men, uh, straight men with cats. But uh, I moved past it and just found a woman who accepted me for who I am. I actually converted her into becoming a cat person. Wonderful. Well, congratulations. Good Thank job. You. Good job. Uh, so let's talk about this documentary. Start me off from the beginning. You know, you don't just sort of walk around and say one day, I'd like to do a story on feral cats or, you know, on community cats. So, you know, how did you find out about Cornwall? How did this come forward? And really, it sounds like it was a multi-year project. Yes, it was. I've, I've made films with Markham Street Films about animals before. And we did a funny documentary about cat shows, which is a very different world. A lot of purebred cats. And being in that world, I became acquainted with uh, the cat rescue circuit because a lot of cat shows, um, while they promote pure breeding, will try and raise money for charity. And these charities tend to be uh, cat charities, cat rescue charities. Uh, so I, they were already on my radar and I got to rescue cats of my own. And in just that adoption process and meeting people, I was really impressed with the work that cat rescuers do. And so I had it in my mind that I wanted to make a film about them. And at the same time, I have family that lives in eastern Ontario near the town of Cornwall, which borders on upstate New York and borders on Quebec. And I was getting these news reports of horrendous cat situation there. That was interesting. So I went to Cornwall and I met uh, some amazing women involved with rescuing cats. 
And I thought maybe this is the opportunity to finally make a film about cat rescue because you can see people in action in a really specific situation that I think is relatable to people all across the cat rescue world. So when you, uh, you know, thought about doing this project, you're profiling the work of rescuers and the work that they're doing, learning about Trap New to Return, mm -hmm. you know, going into this project, you know, what were you thinking? What did you think you were going to find out about Cornwall? I thought I was going to find out something maybe a little bit more specific about Cornwall. Everything in Cornwall is actually happening all across the world. And that there's really nothing that unique about Cornwall, except for the fact that it's a pretty small town and there's even fewer resources there. So I was a little bit surprised about that. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, surprised at how few people were there to, to try and fix the situation. So when you went into Cornwall, you met a couple of folks. One person was doing trap neuter return. Another one was sort of doing rescue and maybe they have volunteers helping them and, and organizations, you know, tell us a little bit about the discovery of what you found out going into Cornwall. Sure. There are a handful of people helping out in Cornwall. The two most prominent voices have been our two characters. There's Melissa who runs Tiny But Mighty Kitten Rescue. And there's Mary Jane who runs a TNR focused organization. And they have in the past collaborated where it makes sense. But both of them have a similar focus, which is trying to reduce the uh, number of unowned cats out and about in Cornwall. So uh, Melissa, with her cat rescue organization, she will find either pregnant cats occasionally or find more often than not abandoned orphaned kittens that could have been born feral or perhaps were born to an owned cat but were then dumped somewhere publicly. And she raises them, gets them all their shots and adopts them out to people in her area that want a pet. And that is what I'm, I was more familiar with because that is more or less how I got my two cats from a large organization here in Toronto. I'm in a really big city. And the organizations I've dealt with have had dozens, if not hundreds of volunteers. In Melissa's case, it's just her. And I think from a storytelling point of view and from a filmmaking point of view, that's actually kind of more interesting. You just got one person doing it, one place to point your camera, and it raises, it's more of a David versus Goliath situation, which is from a filmmaking point of view, I thought was made a better story. Yeah, no, 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 that it's very interesting. And, uh, you know, before we hit the record button, we, I was talking a little bit about some of my emotional frustrations while watching the documentary, which was like, ah, oh, these two women, they're trying to do so much but there's so much more out there that needs to be done. And there are obstacles, there's veterinary shortages, there's veterinary expenses. You know, when I was running a nonprofit, I used to tell the folks that were out there trapping that for every one trapper I had, I needed four people doing fundraising for them. You know, so there's this scalability that has to go on. And I was so frustrated by the lack of accessibility with private veterinarians. And back for me in 2008, I was working with 14 different private veterinarians. And these folks were working with one and it's not a veterinarian that's close by, right? So I was working with 14 private veterinarians and that wasn't even enough for me. So, you know, I created a mobile spay neuter clinic to be able to do higher volume. And so from my standpoint, watching this is these core women, they don't have the supportive toolkit that I always talk about to be able to make the change happen that they know needs to happen. So therefore, they're almost doomed to failure mm -hmm. in the eyes of the birding community. You know, we were talking sure. with a lot of those folks that you were interviewing about feral cats and the impact on the on the bird community. 
And it's like these women are working so very, very hard, but yet they're just not able to get to the numbers to be able to make that impact to be able to reduce that cat population that would then impact the bird population. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain futility to it at times, I think. And I know that our characters are smart and understand that concept. And I can only imagine how demoralizing that must be when you have spent hours and dozens of hours of your time and all kinds of your own money and resources trapping cats, getting them TNR'd. And then, you know, the next day you just see a dozen more or you see a cat on the street that's been hit by a car. I mean, the level of um, compassion, fatigue and burnout experienced by people like Mary Jane and Melissa and all of your community, Stacey, that you've worked with for years it's just incredible. So I did hope that our film showed that idea of that, you know, sometimes it might feel like you're chasing your own tail when you're doing this kind of work. And I hope that that is a, a wake up call to people that don't understand this world to understand that, oh, don't worry about it. somebody else is taking care of it, you know, but uh, there's never going to be enough resources until this becomes more of a, a mainstream issue. And until there's really a multi-pronged approach from public money, private money, academia, Everybody has to come together. It can't just be private citizens. And it certainly can't just be one or two private citizens that are going to make a real dent. So there you go. You're, you're already thinking through based on doing this work, sort of trying to think about solutions and what would a potential solution look like in Cornwall or anywhere else. I mean, you got so intimately involved with Cornwall. You were at city council meetings. So you're talking about that public involvement. I think they allocated a certain amount of money potentially at some point in time. Based on that, you know, when you're looking at things, say Cornwall was your town, you were the mayor of Cornwall, Mm. you know, how would you solve this? And I hate calling it a problem, but let's Mm. solve this, this challenge. I think education is the first thing that needs to be addressed in a lot of places, especially places, uh, low income neighborhoods. And this, this goes for anywhere in the world. And I didn't come up with this idea. This is from speaking with scientists and academics who have a number of agendas, including saving wildlife and saving birds, but also doing what's right for cats and making sure that all cats have a good quality of life. Until the average person understands the implications of putting a cat outside, whether it's owned or not, and how there can be this huge ripple effect, we're not going to get anywhere. So I think education is the first thing that needs to happen. Money really helps with education some public funds uh, allotted to TNR initiatives, to subsidizing spay and neuter for low-income people. I mean, there's all kinds of things that money can do. I mean, money can really help a lot of situations. It's easier said than done because a lot of towns don't have a lot of money. A lot of cities don't have a lot of money. And when there's an option for a public official or public officials to put resources into something, the welfare of cats might not be top of the list. You know, there are a lot of problems facing many communities in North America. So it's tough, but I think it comes to a point where as much as it's really expensive or costly to fix this problem, it can become even more costly to not fix the problem. People just have to dig deep and say, screw it. We're going to, we're going to fix this. We're going to pay now. We're going to go into debt. We're going to do what we have to do. We're going to put off building that community center, or we're going to put off paving that road because people aren't going to be enjoying their community if there's dead cats everywhere because they're getting hit by cars, you know, that's, or if their cats are, even if it's just a nuisance issue, your cats are going through garbage or they're digging up your lawn or they're um, going to the bathroom outside. Not to mention if you're a humane person, and you love animals, it just breaks your heart to see the suffering of these animals. 
or if you love birds. There's so many different reasons to get behind supporting this issue. I say this as I'm looking at a cat outside of my backyard that's not mine. <laughs> um, there's so many different motivations that people could have and should have for fixing this issue, whether you're a cat lover or not. I think it's time people really come together. We interrupt this podcast for a quick trivia question. Where's the single place with answers to all of your animal welfare questions? Yes, even the one that kept you awake until two in the morning. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? It's Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum is the only dedicated forum for our industry where you can find answers from colleagues fast and free. Stop doom scrolling and join today. Visit forum.maddiesfund.org slash cats. Could your animal welfare organization use a tune-up? Humane Network can help. You can get a free 30-minute consultation to talk through your challenges and get ideas on how your organization can be more successful with less stress. From board development and fundraising to strategic planning and operations, Humane Network has got you covered. Whether you are a large or small, nonprofit or government, it's a live and thriving program led by a certified animal behavior consultant features specially designed training for shelter and clinic staff on enrichment, stress reduction, safe animal handling, and behavior modification. With Humane Network, you receive individualized advice and support customized to meet your organization's unique needs. And Humane Network can lighten your load by taking on fundraising, communications, and other tasks you struggle with. Contact Humane Network today for a free 30-minute consultation. Visit humanenetwork.org. That's humanenetwork.org. A simple picture of an animal in foster or needing adoption just doesn't cut it. Adopters want to see video of the animal in action, showing off their personality. But shelter software doesn't let you get video back from fosters or staff easily. They can't text it because video is just too big and posting to YouTube means you have to give them access. If only there was a way for you to get video back from anyone that you can use in your organization. Luckily, the team at Dubert has solved this problem with their rescue tube module. Now you simply create a bucket and give that code to any of your staff, volunteers, or fosters to type into the Dubert mobile app. They can easily upload videos up to 10 minutes that you can easily download and use in your adoption efforts. Organizations across the country are using Dubert's Rescue Tube to capture video of foster animals, adoption events, playtime, and behavior testing. ACOs are even using it to document cases in the field so they have video evidence. Check out Rescue Tube today at www.dubert.com, where they make animal rescue simple. And another challenge in many communities is just that you know, they just don't have access to care. Mm-hmm. Whether it's affordable or not affordable is not even an issue sometimes now because there aren't many veterinary practices in low-income communities. And then, you know, to get to a clinic, you have to get there between nine and five during the day. Well, if you got a job, you you know, and you can't get out of the job, you can't get the cat there. And then obviously then there's cost issues. And I certainly know in Canada, the spay neuter prices for cats in Canada are even significantly higher than they are in the United States, you know, higher than New York City costs, higher than Boston costs. Mm. And so, you know, really a challenge. And I think, In Canada, as well as in the United States, we are facing a veterinary shortage as well as a technician shortage. And so even if you wanted to create a low-cost clinic and hire staff, veterinary students are coming out with $120,000 of debt on average out of school. So if you look at a practice that's offering you a $60,000 signing bonus 
versus a nonprofit that's offering you, you know, a decent salary, but not any of those kinds of benefits, they're challenges, very significant challenges, because I would love to say, we should have a low cost spay neuter clinic everywhere, basically, everywhere that it's needed. But it's not something that's that attainable, just even if we had the money, there are human resources that we have some challenges with. And you said, compassion fatigue at the rescue level, veterinarians and technicians are challenged, they have some of the highest suicide rates of any profession. Um, And so I I think we have so many battles that we have to look at strategically from a, a higher level. And then here we are have boots on the ground folks that are just trying to make it this week, make it next week. Tell me a little bit about about Mary Jane and and some of her trapping. She's out there trapping at 10 degrees below zero, spaying and neutering cats. And I know people have some opinions about whether to do spay neuter in the wintertime and how successful that is. How was it being out there and being part of that trapping in that super cold weather? Yeah, Cornwall is no joke. It's uh, effectively across the St. Lawrence from towns like Syracuse, New York. So you get that kind of Lake and St. Lawrence effect where it's just damp and cold and snowy and dark and miserable. And yeah, Mary Jane's out there trapping these cats. Some of the cats that are trapped in the film are part of a colony and that colony has a bit of a shelter, a bit of like an enclosed unwinterized porch. So the cats get a little bit of shelter from the wind but it is damn cold. And we were out there filming and we set up cameras at night and I can tell you it's very uncomfortable. So a lot of cats do freeze to death in weather like that. And um, it, was, uh, it was a challenge to film. I mean, frankly, our cameras were freezing up. Uh, it was difficult to film. Our batteries were draining really. So I can't imagine what it'd be like for a cat. And there's a scene in, in the film where one of the cats in the colony is trying to drink water from a bowl and the water's frozen over and he's tapping at the ice and it's, it's just kind of heartbreaking. Um, so yeah, I was very impressed with Mary Jane. To speak to something you brought up earlier, uh, about the uh, availability of vets, these folks have to drive to another jurisdiction in order to actually get to get some low income care. Uh, even in their own city of Cornwall, there's only one vet and it's not a uh, subsidized or a low cost vet. So um, they have to drive to another jurisdiction that, that speaks a different language. I mean, there's a lot of French and English in that part of Canada, but still, I mean, it, it's, it's a different place, you know. It would be like, it's almost like driving uh, over the border of Texas to Mexico, you know? So it's just a crazy, it, it's just nuts that they have to go to this, this extent, but certainly admire it. When did you actually conduct the filming? Did you do it before COVID, during COVID? How did that go? And, you know, where are they now? Sure. Um, we started the filming, I believe in 2018, long before COVID. And then there was a long pause of roughly eight or nine months while we tried to get the rest of the money together to make the film and get a broadcaster in Canada, TV Ontario, on board, public broadcaster. And then when that happened, we started filming again in the summer of 2018, on and off, all the way on and off into just weeks before the first COVID lockdown in North America anyway, right into February 2020, believe it or not. And then um, we were editing right when we started editing, COVID uh, happened and nobody was doing anything. As you remember, nobody was certainly nobody was filming and we were able to get most of the film edited and then we needed some more footage. It just became really obvious. So it was June of 2020. We had been living with the pandemic for a few months. 
And we started going out and trying to get a few more things here and there, which was a challenge in and of itself because, um, you know, I think even hotels were closed for the most part back then. So going to Cornwall, it was a challenge. Even the drive from where I live in Toronto is almost five hours. So we're talking about driving, filming and driving back, but we made it, we made it work. And uh, we were really grateful to have had gotten most of this footage before COVID happened. But as you probably know, COVID really complicated the situation in Cornwall for cats even more because we had documented some progress in the film that the city was starting to put some public funds towards solving the problem. And of course, when COVID happened, that became less of a priority. And in fact, the local SPCA, which also works in the community, wasn't able to take in any cats. Shelters were effectively on lockdown. I mean, nothing was happening. And it was kitten season in the spring. So kittens were being born. And it was just, it was a mess. It was really tough for our characters. And as bad as this situation was in the film, it got even worse for them for a while. So they've been battling through in terms of where they are now. I know that Melissa has been working very hard at trying to get a son of like a pop-up come mobile clinic established in Cornwall. There has been a mobile clinic that has come through before in the city. Five years or so ago, there's one uh, larger one just in the, in the province of Ontario. And they, they have worked and they've done stuff, but it's, it's just hasn't been enough. It's such a bad situation in Cornwall that they would need that mobile clinic to come every week for a year or so. Um, and they were... Sp- Baying and neutering hundreds of cats each day they came through. Uh, so Melissa is working on trying to get something more permanent or semi-permanent in Cornwall. And uh, Mary Jane is continuing her TNR efforts. Um, and she's really frustrated. I mean, she, she'll work so hard and then message me saying, you know, I just found another couple of dead cats in the road, like keep your cats indoors. So they're working hard and I'm still in touch with them. And uh, they've been really happy with the film and the, the awareness they've gotten locally. And now that the film is available in America, hopefully there'll be some more attention. It is really like a, a universal story. The story of Cornwall could be really any town in US or in Canada. It's a Rust Belt town. It could be anywhere. <laughs> it's a low income place where the industry is more or less gone. Jobs are short, the, the, it's tough times, and the cats are suffering. So sounds familiar, I'm sure. <laughs> Unfortunately, it really does. But if folks are interested in finding out more about Melissa and Mary Jane, I think you said Melissa has an Instagram account, and Mary Jane is on Facebook. So we'll make sure we get those links in the show notes. Love to have folks reach out and connect with them. But if folks are interested in seeing the documentary, where would they do that? The documentary is called Running Wild, The Cats of Cornwall, and it can be found on iTunes, Amazon, or almost anywhere you can find films to buy or rent. Just Google Running Wild, The Cats of Cornwall and watch the film. Aaron, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I might just add that the film, if you're not sure if the film is for you, there's a lot of other things in the film too, beyond just the story of Cornwall and Mary Jane and Melissa. We do talk to scientists and ecologists that give another perspective on the outdoor and feral cat population crisis. And I think that's another interesting element of the film and something that I personally didn't know about. I'm a cat lover. My motivation was to make something that was sympathetic towards cats and the people working with cats. But I was definitely interested in learning about the massive ecological ripple effect that is caused when we put our lovable furry animals outside. So um, I think hopefully there's enough in there to entertain people and inform them and get them um, passionate about doing what's right for our cats and for other animals and ourselves. Excellent. And I did, I found that section very interesting and I'd love to 
have a chance to talk with some of those folks too. And um, it, it, it is interesting, the whole cats and birds and, you know, our, our yeah. balance of, of nature in general. So it, it's very thought provoking. Erin, um, I, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and for being a guest on the show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you so much. I would look forward to that. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. (laughs) 